0: So this morning, um, I had the privilege of doing the children's message at 9.30. Terrifying. (laughs) I don't know why, but it it is. Anyway, so I think I'm supposed to sit here. And uh, so I'm going to read this. So this is from the Jesus Jesus Storybook Bible. I've shown this to you before. Um, If you somewhere in your family don't have one of these, you need one. Um, And if you want to give a gift to a kid or a grandkid or somebody These are brilliant. I can show you exactly where to find them. Um, It's just so great. And to be totally honest with you, if you haven't haven't read the Bible yourself, honestly, if you haven't read the Bible yourself, I'm telling you, start here. And I'm not even kidding. Do it in private. It's fine. (laughs) But but start here. Um, This is just an amazing resource to to help you get the whole picture. So I'm gonna read this. This is called Filled Full. um, And it's the retelling of a story in Mark chapter 6. So says says there once were 5,000 tired and hungry and probably very grumpy people sitting on a hillside waiting for their dinner. They'd come to hear Jesus that day. They came before breakfast, stayed all morning, all afternoon, way past dinner, and no one had meant to be out there that long, but that's how it was, listening to Jesus. It's as if time didn't exist, unlike listening to me. <laughs> that's not in here. That's okay. Uh, People could listen to Jesus for hours, and on this particular day, that's just what they did. But they hadn't brought enough food, and they couldn't go and buy themselves a burger and fries, because, of course, they were in the middle of nowhere with no shops and restaurants, and besides that, burgers and fries hadn't been invented yet. So what would they do? Well, Jesus' friends had an idea. They said, let's send everybody home for dinner. And Jesus said, they don't need to go. You can give them something to eat. Did Jesus want them to travel all around town to buy food for everybody? I don't think so. So Jesus' friends panicked. They said, We don't have enough money. And Jesus said, Well, what food do you have? Go and see. Now, there's a little boy in the crowd, and he had brought a lunch that his mother made early in that morning. And he looked at his five loaves of bread and two fish. It wasn't that much, not nearly enough for 5,000, but it was all he had. And he said, I have some. And Jesus' friends, his disciples, they laughed when they saw his little lunch. They said, that's not nearly enough. But they were wrong because Jesus knew it didn't matter how much the little boy had. God would make it enough, more than enough. So Jesus said, bring me what you have. And the little boy gave Jesus his lunch. Jesus winked at the little boy, whispered in his ear, he said, watch this. Now, how in the world is he gonna feed everybody with just that? That's what Jesus' friends were thinking. They thought it was impossible. But Jesus knew the one who made all the fish in the ocean. He knew the one who was the very beginning and made everything out of nothing at all. So how hard would it be for somebody like that? So Jesus took the little boy's lunch and he looked up to heaven and he thanked his father. Jesus gave the little lunch back to his friends. As Jesus' friends started to hand out the food, do you know what? It was the strangest thing. No matter how much they broke off, there was always more and more. And more. There's enough to feed more than 5,000. Everybody ate as much as they wanted. They had second helpings. They were stuffed. Even after, there were leftovers. Jesus did many things like this things that people thought couldn't happen, that they thought weren't natural, but it was the most natural thing in the whole world. It's what God has been doing from the very beginning taking nothing and making it everything, taking what's empty and filling it full taking darkness and making it light. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. So that was the way the Jesus Storybook Bible retells the feeding of over 5,000. You guys probably know the Bible only counted the men when it said 5,000 men, so there were likely many thousands more than that. But that's how the Jesus Storybook Bible retells that story from Mark chapter 6. Just wait till you hear what happens two chapters later. But let's pray first. Father, grateful for the way that you um, have given us your word, given us uh, just these incredible memories of what it was like to be with Jesus um, so that we can consider what it means to be with him today. I pray that you'd guide our minds, open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, that we can receive your word for us. As always, use our hands and our feet when we leave this place. Put us to work. Use our mouths when necessary. Help us to be a different voice and show the world there's just a different way to live. It's your way and it's good. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. So there are different layers to all of these uh, stories in the Gospels especially. I mean, we could take one story and just preach on it for weeks and weeks. There's so much going on. And that's definitely true of the story that I'm about to read. But I wanna show you a couple things that we can take away from it today. And it might feel a little all over the place. So I wanna tell you exactly what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna show you four different layers to this story. And the first one shows us what a disciple is like. The second layer shows us what a disciple does. The third layer reminds us what Jesus is like. And then the fourth layer shows us what Jesus does. And then as we always do, at the end of every sermon, we ask what? So what? And today it might be more like, now what? But we'll ask the same question. So let me read you this. This is from Mark chapter eight. Remember two chapters later than the story I just read. This is Mark chapter eight, uh, read verses one through 10. It says, in those days, when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus summoned his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me for three days already and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. Some of them have come from a great distance. And his disciples said to him, will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And Jesus looked at them and rolled his eyes. (laughs) It doesn't say that, that's okay. So Jesus asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. He directed the people to recline on the ground and he, taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve. And they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish. And after he blessed them, he told the disciples to serve these as well. And they ate and were satisfied. And they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces, about 4,000 men were there, and he dismissed them, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. This, too, is the word of the Lord. All right, so follow this. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at a story in Mark chapter five. And in Mark five, Jesus and his disciples are in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and this great storm comes, right? Jesus is sound asleep in the boat until his disciples wake him up. And when they wake him up, they're really upset. They're really mad at him because it seems like he just doesn't care at all that they're about to die. So he wakes up and with a word, he stops the wind, he stops the rain. He makes the sea as still as glass. It says the disciples are amazed, but more than that, it says they're afraid. And then they ask the question, who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And just really quickly, the gospel of Mark, the first eight chapters of Mark's gospel are designed to ask that one question. Everybody in the story is asking the question, who is this? And Mark wants his readers, he wants you to ask the same question. When you hear what Jesus has done, ask yourselves the question, who is this? Then last week, Beth shared a story with the kids that comes one chapter later. The disciples are in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And another one of these nasty storms comes rolling in. This time Jesus is on the shore, but he sees them struggling and he starts to walk out to them on the water. And when the disciples see them, they think that he's a ghost. Because I guess even after all this time with Jesus, that's the most logical explanation. (laughs) But so he gets in the boat with them and then immediately the wind stops and Mark tells us the disciples completely understood what was going on because they'd seen this before (laughs) no it says they were utterly astonished at what they had seen and then he goes on to tell us that they didn't understand what was happening because their hearts were hardened so more on that in just a minute in chapter six jesus feeds a crowd of over five thousand people with five loaves of bread and two fish in chapter eight, they find 4,000 hungry people. Do the math, less people. They have seven loaves of bread and a few fish. Less people, more resources. And his disciples still have no clue how they're gonna feed the people. His disciples have no idea what's going on. So let me ask you, somebody give me one word that best describes the disciples in the gospel of Mark. Mark. Say it out loud and clear so I can hear you. Clueless, I heard. I heard dumb. (laughs) Here's my word. Oh, go ahead and throw it up. No, sorry. Oh, man, we asked, there we go. Yeah, so here's my word. (laughs) That's right, Brian. (laughs) Just a bunch of dummies, right? (laughs) So like I spent the past week really preparing to preach a sermon on how stupid the disciples are. And to be honest with you, I don't say that to be mean because I can totally relate. I mean, how many times have I gotten it wrong over and over? How many times have I made the same mistake over and over? How many times have I gone through some struggle or some sort of suffering and then I forget how Jesus pulled me through last time Like how many times do I have to go through those things before I remember so that I'm ready the next time it comes? Like just how many times? Like I find great comfort in the fact that the gospels present the disciples as dummies. (laughs) Dummy, (laughs) So when I say that the Gospel of Mark presents them this way as stupid or hard-headed, even worse, multiple times, Mark tells us that their hearts were hardened. And that's an important phrase. When you read in the Bible that somebody's heart is hardened, that means that in some way, in that moment, they're cut off from Jesus. Like they're separated from him in some really profound way. So listen, I don't mean it as an insult. I can relate. I know this story from experience. Anybody else? As far as we know, and I don't know if we've talked about that in here, talked about this during the series yet or not, but as far as we know, Mark, his name is John Mark, who wrote this gospel, he was a disciple of Peter. So he's one of Peter's disciples. Now, some people believe that Mark is actually in the gospel of Mark. Uh, Later on in the story, Jesus is praying in the garden on the night that he's arrested. And there's this guy who's also in the garden, and he runs away, and for some reason, he's naked when he runs away. So there are some people that believe that that guy is Mark. I mean, if so, like, what a weird way to insert yourself into the story, right? Like, could you pick something else you did while you were around? I mean, next time you read Mark's gospel, it's going to look different because you're going to be like, man, this guy's a streaker. I don't know. So we know Mark at least knew Jesus, we knew, he knew of him, but we're confident that Mark was one of Peter's disciples. We know this from the book of Acts. So think about what that means. That means that so much of this gospel, like where did it come from? Who told Mark these stories? Who first told Mark about Jesus calming the sea? About Jesus walking on the water? Who told Mark about Jesus feeding 5,000 people and then feeding 4,000 people? Peter, Peter the rock, the one whom Jesus said, I'll build my church on you. Peter the disciple, he told Mark and others all about Jesus. So we believe this gospel, it's basically a collection of the preaching and teaching of Peter. And it's given to us through his disciple Mark. Now I'm telling you this for a reason. I think this really matters. When you retell a story, when you retell a story, do you intentionally make yourself out to look like a fool? Right, like do you enjoy telling stu- stories where you look stupid? <laughs> I mean, usually not. Like sometimes, I mean, many of you here, you're wise enough, uh, you're humble enough that like you don't take yourselves too seriously and that's good. But this is different. Like it seems like Peter's going out of his way to present himself and to present the other disciples as stupid, even hard-hearted. Just simply unable to understand what's going on as they follow Jesus. Why does he do that? I think there's two reasons. The first one's pretty simple. That's just how it happened. <laughs> like Peter's telling these stories from his perspective and in retrospect, he's now fully aware of how ignorant he and the other disciples were, how ignorant they were to who was right there with him and what he came to do. And you have to remember, that's really profound because they weren't just with Jesus on Sundays. Like They lived and moved with him. They were with him all day, every day. They were covered in the dust of Jesus' sandals as they walked behind him. But even so, they just, they had no idea what was going on. So I think that's the first reason, this is just how it happened. But I think there's a second reason he chooses to do this because I think he knew that it would be the same way for us. Like I think Peter knew that future disciples of Jesus would have the same trouble understanding, that we would stumble, that we might be a little slow, Sometimes we might even harden our own hearts to who Jesus is and what he's come to do because Peter knew, just like we do, his kingdom, y'all, it is just so different from our own. It's so different, it's it's hard to comprehend. It's hard to understand. So I really think Peter tells the stories this way because he wants us to be encouraged. He wants us to take heart, even in the midst of our ignorance. Take heart, but still trust Jesus. Jesus. Continue to follow him. Be covered in his dust. Because from Peter's experience, he's gonna be revealed to you more and more the more faithfully you follow him. There's an author named N.T. Wright. Um, He explains what's going on and I think this is really helpful. If If we can learn to empathize with the disciples rather than just criticize them, I think this is helpful. He says, whatever's happening, it's so much bigger And so very different from what they had been expecting or hoping that they just couldn't simply take it all in. Nothing like this had ever happened before, so we can excuse them for being a little slow on the uptake. And then he goes on to say, we can hardly blame them since no first century Jews known to us were expecting a Messiah who would multiply loaves and fishes. Nobody was looking for a Messiah who was going to go around multiplying loaves and fishes, and nobody was looking for a Messiah who would die a sinner's death on a Roman cross on a Friday. Nobody was looking for a Messiah who who was going to walk out of his tomb on a Sunday. He wasn't what they were expecting. He wasn't what they were looking for. Like I certainly never expected him to take my life and to make me a fundamentally new person. Don't get me wrong. Still an absolute and total mess, (laughs) but a fundamentally new person. I never expected him to use me, to make me a partner in proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of God has come near because I would have chosen someone else. But he chose me. And I'm telling you, he's chosen you too. Y'all, these stories, all of these stories, like they definitely reveal the ignorance of disciples and that's true. But that's just a layer of the story. That's not what they're about. Here's the next layer to the story. And I, I really think this second feeding story, like this time, this crowd of more than 4,000, y'all, it's, it's a really sweet story. And it reveals the deep, deep kindness and compassion of Jesus. So listen to this again. This is verse six. It says, he directed them, to, he directed the people to recline on the ground and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving to them to his disciples to serve and they served them to the people. Did y'all hear that? Like, does that sound familiar to you? Like Once a month we come and we stand behind this table and what do we say every time we do it? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it And gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. We do that to remember and to reenact what we call the Last Supper. That meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before he was arrested and crucified. And y'all, it's called the Last Supper for a reason. It was the last time they were all together. (laughs) At least until he rose again. In Mark chapter eight, I'm convinced Mark is describing for us the first supper. This is a communion story. Now listen, it's not complete yet. Communion isn't really communion unless we're remembering and proclaiming Jesus's saving death. And that hasn't happened yet. But at the very least, it's a clear foreshadowing to a sacrament that's been celebrated now for over 2,000 years. I think that's really neat. But here's the incredible part. Who did the serving? Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to who? He gave it to his disciples. And his disciples were the ones who served. He didn't give it to the people himself. Jesus didn't serve the people himself. He served it through his disciples. These ignorant, confused dummies, sometimes stupid, sometimes hard hearted disciples. That's who he chose to use. Listen, I'm telling you, like, I know what communion is. I had to pass a test on it. So, I mean, I know what it is. But I'll be totally honest with you, I'm not exactly sure what goes on when we take it. Like, there's a mystery to it. And sometimes it is profound and it is overwhelming. Last week at communion, in both services, for me, it was profound and overwhelming, and I don't know why. It was the same communion that we take every month. I'm telling you, I don't totally get it. I don't have all the answers. But he uses me to serve it anyway. Like, do you see the grace in this? Do you see the good news for disciples then and now and in the future? Jesus doesn't give up on us. Like, he doesn't abandon us. He doesn't kick us out of class when we get the answers wrong and go around looking for new, smarter, better disciples. He's called us to himself just as we are. Not only does he not abandon us, he puts us to work, to do his work. Not only did Jesus not abandon those first disciples, he built his church on them. He left so they could start the work. Their faith and obedience, even in the midst of their ignorance and their misunderstanding, y'all, it's the reason that we're here today. And do you realize that you are called to be the ones who continue their good work. That you are, called to be, you are called to be the ones who leave a healthy and fruitful church behind for the generations that are coming after you. Do you know that he's called you to do that work? Do you know that if you're waiting around for me and Sabrina and others, if you're waiting for us to do it, guess what's gonna get done? Nothing. He has called you to do that work. The future of his church depends on what you do now. Is that overwhelming to you? Do you think you can't do it? Do you think you're not ready? Just telling you, if the answer to that question is yes, Jesus himself would disagree. And so would the great cloud of witnesses that has gone on before us Peter, James, John, Mark, and Paul, they would all disagree. My grandparents who are right now in heaven rooting me on, they would disagree. Those that you love and have lost, they would disagree because they're up there cheering along with the angels and with Jesus himself as they watch you do the work that Jesus has called you to do. Do you know what you need to know before you can go share the good news? Do you know how many classes you have to complete? How many tests you have to take? None. Like here's what you need to know. You need to know Jesus has a deep and abiding love for you and that he saved you by dying on the cross. You need to decide that you have received that love and you're gonna try to love him back. The only other thing you need to know is your own story of how all that played out. Where were you and now where are you? That's it. You don't have to answer all their questions. Just tell them that story and then invite them to be a part of God's family. There they can come to learn and grow the things that maybe you can't speak to in the moment. This is N.T. Wright again. He says this, he says, in both stories, Jesus not only feeds the crowd, but he involves the disciples in the feeding because the closer we are to Jesus, the more likely it is that he will call on us to share in the work of compassion, healing, and feeding, bringing his kingdom work to an ever wider circle. The Christian life, a disciplined rhythm of following Jesus. If you're taking notes, you should totally write that down. The Christian life, a disciplined rhythm of following Jesus, involves not only being fed, but becoming in turn one through whom Jesus' love can be extended to the world. So we know what disciples are. We know what disciples did, what what they're called to do. What are we supposed to actually go and do about this now? And this is, here's another layer to the story. I want you to notice something about Jesus. This is verse three. Jesus himself says, I feel compassion for the people because they've remained with me for three days already and have nothing to eat. Somebody in a class on Thursday, they pointed out to me that, uh, the Gospels will say that Jesus had compassion on people, but this is the only time that I can find it 's the only time that He actually says, "I have compassion for these people. I have compassion because they've remained with me for three days and have nothing to eat. so in, in the first feeding story, when he feeds more than five thousand, it says he felt compassion for them, but because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so what Jesus did was began to teach them. And it was only later on that the disciples noticed everybody's getting hungry. And then they started stressing out because there was no food. In this story today, it's Jesus who notices. Jesus says, I have compassion for them. He noticed their physical need and he felt compassion for the situation that they were in. And to be totally honest with you, if you look at the details of the story, in some ways it's his fault. <laughs> like the story says they've been with him for three days. The word for hunger in verse three its the Greek word for fasting. Do you know what that tells us? This wasn't just some crowd of bystanders watching to see if this guy was going to do some magic tricks. These were followers. These were committed people who were sitting at the feet of Jesus. They were fasting and they were receiving a word from the Lord. This is so important. The word compassion, it means so much more to Jesus than we understand today. We don't understand what that word means. The word compassion, even in English, it means to suffer with. Passion is the word for suffering. Compassion means suffering with or suffering together. And to be totally honest with you, sometimes, like when people come and share a need with me, like I have to reset and I have to remind myself of Jesus' compassion and that He has called me to step into the suffering with them to suffer with them because the temptation, to be honest, the temptation is just to feel bad for them. Like I'm tempted to listen and feel bad for them rather than to step into the situation and feel the pain with them. And y'all, I think this is so important to what it means to be a follower of Jesus because when I start to experience your suffering as my own, what am I more likely to do? when I begin to experience your pain as my own, what am I more likely to do? I'm probably gonna do something about it. Like when people come and share a need with you, are you more likely to think, man, I'm really sorry to hear that and then go on about your day? Or do you think, okay, is it possible that God is orchestrating all of this? that this person has been brought to me and in some way I'm supposed to be doing something about it. Y'all, I think we're hesitant to tell each other what we need because one, we just don't want to bother each other. But two, I don't think we expect that somebody's actually going to step in to help. One author says this, says, compassion does not begin and end with a feeling. Compassion compels us to take decisive action. If we can learn to suffer with those around us who are in need, I'm telling you, we will be much better lovers of God and neighbor because we'll be willing to do for them what we would do for ourselves. Like, think about it. When it's time to meet our own needs, when we have a problem, don't we all of a sudden get very entrepreneurial? (laughs) Right? Like, we get a lot of ideas. When I'm in a bind, I get really creative. My energy level spikes. I get really focused, start scheming and planning. Like, I'm ready to get to work. Like, what if I put that much effort into the needs of others? What if the people in this room put that much effort into the need of others? And listen, I'm telling you, when when a need arises in this story, in this story, Jesus has told us exactly what to do. (laughs) When that need arises, when you're given the opportunity. Jesus showed you the roadmap. He tells you exactly what to do. The first thing you do, just assess the need. Figure out what's going on. Maybe somebody wants something. Okay, that's not your problem. But is there a real need? If there's a real need, consider if you're there to address it. And then look around you and figure out what's available to you right now. What resources do you have available right now? And then ask this question. It might not seem like it's nearly enough, but do we serve a God who's a God of scarcity or a God who's a God of abundance? Do we serve a God who can't because we don't have enough? Or do we serve a God who can because he created all things out of nothing? (laughs) What do we have? What can God do with it? Again, this comes from N.T. Wright. He says our resources are gonna seem and feel totally inadequate, but that's Jesus's problem, not ours. Our job is not to moan about how few loaves and fishes we have. It's just to offer them to Jesus and see what he wants to do with them. Like assess the need, figure out what resources we have right now, and then finally prayerfully discern how to make the best use of what God's given to us be thoughtful and strategic so we can use it the right way. There's one last layer to the story that I really do want you to hear. Jesus' compassion for others, his deep ability to sit with people in their hunger, in their need, in their suffering, Do you know that you're not only called to have that compassion for others, but that that compassion is there for you as well? That compassion of Jesus is extended to you right now. It doesn't mean everything's always gonna end in a miracle, though it might. But what Jesus promises is his compassion, his suffering with you, and here's how he intends to do it. By the power of his spirit, through his local church. Y'all, that's why what's happening in this room is so important. I told the service at 9.30, and I haven't talked about this really publicly for three years, because I didn't know if this was pride or if this was really like my pastoral heart. And I think now I know, so like I'll tell you. This is why when I look in this room every Sunday, like I am so grateful to see your faces and so many of you are so faithful and you're here week after week after week, but I have to be totally honest with you and tell you the other thing I see are the faces of the people who aren't here. And it's not because I wish they were here and you weren't. I'm so grateful that you're here. I was thinking earlier, like Benjamin's away at college, right? And sometimes we can sit around and think, man, I really miss Benjamin. And I imagine Anna sitting there like, hello, (laughs) like I'm right here. (laughs) It's not that I'm thinking about them and not thinking of you, but y'all, like I love them and I care for them and it breaks my heart that COVID, that a pandemic, that the devil has used that to fill people's life with other stuff and it's made church nothing more than one of just the many other things happening in our lives. That is not what Jesus intended. Like you can't receive the compassionate care of Jesus if you're not around. This is why being a part of the local church is so important, not just when it's convenient and definitely not just when everything's okay. Like remember that we are a hospital, not a country club. We welcome the broken and the lost and we sit in the mess together. We turn to Jesus together. We're to share his compassion with one another and trust him to just show us how to take the next right step. That's what happens here. And I hate that so many in the world are missing it. like for your sake and for the sake of others. And this is a message that you can go and take to those that you know that are a part of this church that just, it's gotten out of their pattern of life. Tell them for their sake and for the sake of others, don't just be a part of Jesus' church when it's convenient. Bring your heavy load. Bring your fear, your brokenness, your pain. Bring it because it's my prayer that this is the place where you're gonna experience the deep compassion of Jesus, where you're gonna remember that his load is light, his burden is easy. Let him take it for you. This should be a place where people will gather around you that they're gonna assess the need, figure out what resources we have, and then offer them to Jesus on your behalf and watch him get to work. That's what happens here. Is there a world outside of us that's in need of that kind of a community? Do you believe that? I think there is. Let's invite them. Because I'm telling you, this place knows how to do it. Be a part of what's happening in God's church, especially when things are going bad, but also, especially when things are going good. Because when things are going well, when you're cruising, guess what? I've got a ton of work for you. (laughs) Amen? Don't say light like, because you're afraid I'm gonna give you a ton of work. Say amen. amen, amen, come on, let's do this work together. You guys pray with me. Father, we are grateful, uh, grateful that you would use uh, just broken and lost people like us to just do incredible things. Um, so we trust you in that, it's terrifying. Uh, we feel like we're not enough, we feel like we're not ready. Uh, just help us, to, help us to realize that's not the truth. Put us to work, give us the courage and the strength to do it. Remind us that you've already equipped us to do the thing that you've called us to do today. Help us to look at the world with that, with that perspective. And then help us to sit back and recognize what you do and just celebrate you for it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. All God's people said.